0: Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org Good morning, Christchurch London Central Service. How are you doing today? Marvellous. Wow, best you've been for ages. Get in. Uh, are going to be a cracking morning. Well, we are on week two of a short series of talks looking at the work of the Holy Spirit through the New Testament book of Acts. And today we're going to stick with the church in Jerusalem. And I'd like to start by reading a few short verses from Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I would love you to turn there. (laughs) I hear no rustling at all right now. I'm going to guess this is the only Bible in the room. So for everyone else, it's on the screen. And we're going to start to read at verse 42. This is what it says. They, that is the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I know these are very familiar words to many people here, but nonetheless, let's remind ourselves of the context in which we find them. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven after telling the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 comes around, that's basically exactly what happens. The disciples are in Jerusalem, day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and fills these disciples. And there's a large crowd of onlookers from many different nations watching what's happening and rather curiously wondering what on earth is going on. So verse 14, Peter the disciple seizes the opportunity. He stands up and explains, hey guys, here's what's happening right now. This is God's ancient promise being fulfilled. Because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, we can now have relationship with the creator of the universe. We can now know God. And the promise of God's Holy Spirit is now being poured out on anybody who wants it. And in response to this, around about 3,000 people say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly this fledgling tiny church explodes into life. Suddenly the early church is very much up and running. And here are the very next words that we read. They devoted themselves. That's the passage we read. And those are the three words I want to exclusively focus on today. They devoted themselves. The Holy Spirit comes and fills, changes and empowers the disciples. What's the fruit? They devoted themselves. And the reason I want to focus there is because I think, I think, if God is saying anything to us as a church right now, it's something very much along these lines. One of the things I love in church life is when people drop us a line to say, hey, I've been praying for us as a church and here's what I think God might be saying to us right now. Doesn't happen all the time, but I love it when it does. And over the last few weeks and months, we've had a fair few more than we would have ordinarily. People in different services who don't know each other. And as they've been dropping us a line saying, I've been praying for us as a church, here's what I think God is saying. They've all been on a strikingly similar theme, which essentially is this pursue deeper relationship with God ask for more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives and in this church seek God look for God yearn for God that phrase came up a couple of times look for deeper relationship with God now, those of us who are on the leaders weekend away at the end of August start of September about 180 people from across all of our services well no actually for me at least that's one of the key themes that came through pursue deeper relationship with God. And so in a series of talks on the work of the Holy Spirit, I want to take a slightly different angle today and respond to what I think the Holy Spirit might be saying to us as a church. They devoted themselves. How do we do the same? What does it look like for us to live devoted life? And I want to look at three very simple things that happened immediately before this passage that kind of led to this devotion, that if we live out in our own lives, we might live devoted lives to. They devoted themselves. How do we do the same? going to be very simple today. Three things And the first step to living a devoted life is this, get to know Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for a while, get to know Jesus again. Just really simply, it just struck me that this devotion happened on the back of a sermon. Peter stands up and he explains, here's who Jesus is, here's what he has done, and here's the significance for our lives. And for 3,000 people who understand the enormity of that, devotion is the fruit, and I think there is a lesson there for us. Little analogy here. Uh, Way back in 1931, there was a famous Charlie Chaplin movie called City Lights. This was Orson Welles' favourite film. In the movie, Chaplin plays a tramp who falls hopelessly in love with a blind flower seller. And Chaplin decides he's going to do everything he can to raise enough money to pay for an operation so she can see. He manages it, she gets the operation, she gets her sight back. And towards the end of the film, there's this really moving, really poignant scene where she sees Chaplin, her saviour, for the first time. What's she going to say? What's she going to do? But she had always presumed that her saviour would be a rich guy. Who else could pay for an operation like that? So when she sees Chaplin, she just laughs at him. And the camera pans to Charlie Chaplin looking heartbroken and crestfallen. And if you watch movies like I do, you are left shouting at the screen, no, don't let him walk away. He's your savior. He's the love of your life. Very moving piece of footage, very famous piece of early cinema. Well, that in some ways is like a little snapshot of Peter's sermon. He stands up and says, hey, guys, all along, we were kind of looking for the wrong kind of God. We are expecting a rich guy a mighty warrior to march in and overthrow the brutality of Rome. We were looking for a genie in a lamp to make all our wishes come true. None of us expected Chaplin the Tramp, a poor carpenter from Nazareth. But he has given everything. He's given his very life to pay for an operation so we can see, so we can now know God. And Peter's sermon makes clear, hey, you missed him once, don't miss him again. The Holy Spirit of God is being poured out on anybody who wants it. That's because of what Jesus has done. And when 3,000 people realize, oh, he's paid for the operation so I can see the enormity of just how much Jesus loves them, oh, devotion is the fruit. And to be honest, that's the natural reaction if you think about it. When I was around about 10 years old, I ended up saving the life of my sister, who's about five, six years younger than me. and My family, we were on holiday in Western Supermare, because that's the kind of rock and roll holidays we had as kids And it was a grey, drizzly, typically British summer's day. And we were playing on the beach, and my sister fell into some kind of gloopy quicksand. And very quickly, she was down up to her shoulders. She was sinking fast, screaming for help. And my parents were too far away to hear or to help. And I remember just around about 10, 11 years old, running over and pulling her out of this quicksand. And she was covered in mud, neck to toe. We got back to my parents, had a whole load of explaining to do. But my sister and I had a typical brother-sister relationship. We would bicker all the time. We would fight like cat and dog. I tell you what, not on that day. She was like, brother, you saved my life. I will do anything for you. Well, at 10 years old, that's a hard offer to refuse. (laughs) I had all her pocket money. She was feeding me chocolate and sweets at the end of the day. But somehow it felt appropriate. When somebody saved your life, how can devotion, not be the fruit. That's kind of what happens here. The disciples realize, oh, the enormity of what Jesus has done for us, I've got to devote myself to him. Guys, if God is speaking to us right now about devoting ourselves to God afresh, going deep with him, maybe the first step is to get to know Jesus. And remember all over again, just how much he has done for us. The primary way we do that is by reading the story about him. We can miss him if we skim. But when we look deep, this book is described as being God-breathed. We can encounter the breath of God, the Spirit of God, through reading this book. And hey, this is a series about the work of the Holy Spirit. It is important that we remember that the primary role of the Holy Spirit, his number one job, is to point us to Jesus and remind us of what Jesus has said and done. How do we devote ourselves? We just get to know Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit in our midst. One of my favourite ever quotes comes from a guy called Dallas Willard. He was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Amazing mind, amazing man. Wrote some really deep stuff. But my favourite quote of his is very, very simple. He said this, Jesus isn't just nice. He is brilliant. I love that. You know, sometimes I, at least, am in danger of overcomplicating this Christianity thing. It's all about Jesus. He is brilliant. And when I understand afresh just how much he's done for me, I can now know God because he gave everything for me. How can devotion not be the fruit? You know, the danger is for many of us, if you've been in church for a while, you get dulled by familiarity. How do we devote ourselves? We know again how much Jesus has done for us. He's brilliant. First step to leading a devoted life. Second step to leading a devoted life is we repent. We repent. What happens here is these disciples, they hear about what Jesus has done. And we told in Acts 2, they are cut to the heart. And they cry out, what then shall we do? Peter simply replies, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Now I want to say something about this word repent. Because depending on where you're at in your spiritual journey, we can kind of be turned off by it. If you are exploring faith for the first time, if you're new to this whole church thing, it kind of carries this connotation that there's this long list of bad things that the church thinks that we all do and some of which we quite like doing. And I've got to, oh, give them up if I want to follow Jesus. I want to deconstruct that idea in a few moments' time. But I also think if I've been following Jesus for a while, that I can switch off at that word because I think to myself, oh, repent, I did that a long time ago, don't need to worry about it now. That is most definitely not the case, and here is the main reason. Because it is possible to know loads about Jesus and to be in church every week and to lose my devotion. You could have been singing songs to Jesus a few moments ago. You could read the Bible every day, and you could have lost your devotion. In fact, when a guy called the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, writes to a young church in Corinth, he actually said to them, I'm afraid, guys, I'm afraid. That you could be led away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You can be in church every week. You can be on a church planting adventure and you can lose your devotion. I wonder if that could be true of anybody here. You know the stuff. You read the Bible lots and you lose your devotion. That's exactly what happened to one church. We read about them in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And Jesus actually comes to them in this picture. And he says, hey, you guys have worked so hard to make church happen. He really commends them for it. But then he says this, I have this against you. You lost your first love. You lost your devotion. And his command to them is exactly the same. He says, repent, repent. So what does repentance look like? What does it mean? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment your favorite artist or your favorite musician. Imagine a stunning aria being sung at the front of this service. Imagine your favourite sports person. Well, whatever you are thinking of is the product of devotion. It's the fruit of a devoted life. Saying yes to pursuing that particular art form has involved a myriad of no's, time, energy, money, to things that could rob them of excelling in that area. Well, following Jesus works exactly the same way. If I want to say yes to Jesus, if I want the very best, deepest relationship with God that I can possibly have, I have to say no to the myriad of things that can rob me of my sincere and pure devotion to him. So what do I need to say no to? Well, John Stott's commentary on the book of Acts is really helpful for you because he goes through the first few chapters and he identifies three particular stumbling blocks that could rob the early church of their devotion. The first, Acts chapter three, is external pressure. In this case, persecution, though it can come in many forms, criticism, stress. Second, Acts chapter 5, is internal temptation to compromise, living for myself and my own ends rather than God and relationship with him. And the third, Acts chapter 6, is distraction, busying myself with many things rather than pursuing the best relationship with God. Don't know about you, I can relate to all of these. Maybe distraction in a city like London in particular. If your prayer life is like mine, you're like, dear God, thank you for this day. I love you so much. Oh, look, a cloud. (laughs) That cloud looks a bit like a refrigerator. I wonder what's in my refrigerator right now. Oh, I'd really love some chocolate. I must add chocolate to my shopping list this weekend. What am I going to do this weekend? Oh, I know. Let's watch a movie. Let's have movie night. Let's watch Lord of the Rings. I like Lord of the Rings. Let's watch another clip on my mobile phone right now. Anyone have a prayer life like that? (laughs) If we want to redevote ourselves to God, What do we need to say no to? And I find it interesting that in Ephesus, actually, it was hard work that robbed them of their devotion. Anyone here, you've just worked tirelessly. As we've multiplied to meeting in multi-locations over the last 18 months, Jesus will commend you for that. But what's (coughs) happened in here? Has it cooled at all? Now, I can relate to the other two as well, external pressure and internal temptation to compromise. And before you think I'm going to now list a long list of bad things that can rob us of our devotion, I actually find it's the subtler temptations, fear, insecurity, settling for a life of comfort and ease that can be most toxic to my relationship with God. I remember my second ever sermon in Christchurch. It's back when we met in a wine museum on the South Bank called Vinopolis. Hands up if you remember us when we met in Vinopolis. Old people down the front... And one at the back. And my second ever sermon in Christchurch, John chapter 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it was a belter. (laughs) And somebody came to me at the end of the talk, and I think they were trying to be encouraging. I think they were. But here's the feedback they gave me. Andy, well done on the talk. It was so much better than the last one. That's the feedback that I got. (laughs) And they carried on talking. I heard nothing. All that went on in here was, oh, what was wrong with the last one? Now there was insecurities going on in there already, but you know that one of the fruits of that moment was I went to David Stroud, who leads the team at Christchurch, and I said, "Look, I'll clean toilets and I'll sweep floors, but I don't want to do that anymore." And for two years, I stopped preaching in this church because I'd lost a battle in here. Oh, I sang the songs, I read the Bible. I talked to God about how much I wanted to follow him, but I closed off a little portion of my life. You know what I had to do after two years? I had to repent. I had to say to myself, you know what? I am not going to let fear and insecurity and passivity and settling for the path of least resistance, I am not going to let the words that other people have spoken over me rob me of the life that I could be living in God. Anyone here relate to that? Are there things that you believe about yourself? Are there things that people have spoken about you or over you that are robbing you of the life that you could be living with Jesus? It's time to say no. It's time to repent and say, that will not have a hold over me anymore. I want to say a word about baptism here. That was a key part of my repentance journey. That's Peter's instruction to the disciples here, repent and be baptised. You may have seen us baptise people here at the Mermaid Theatre. Big tank of water here on the stage, and as people are immersed in the water, it's the most wonderful picture of people saying no to the way that they used to live. I'm not living for me anymore, I'm living for a relationship with Jesus. And when we bring people up out of the water, because we always bring people up out of the water. It's a wonderful sign of the fresh start, the new life they have in God. But for me, that was a huge deal. I felt really scared. I felt very vulnerable standing in front of friends and family saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. You know what I had to do? I had to repent. I had to say, fear and insecurity will not rob me of taking this step. What actually turned out to be a profoundly significant step in my own faith journey the first thing Jesus asked us to do, repent and be baptized. Guys, if God is calling us right now for a corporate act of devotion, maybe there's a couple of dozen people here, and the step for you is, I've got to be baptized. Next baptismal service, Sunday the 19th of November. If you're interested, you can email baptism at christchurchlondon.org. You commit yourself to nothing at all, but we can answer your questions, and we can empathize with whatever fears or insecurities are going on in here how do we devote ourselves to God, get to know Jesus, and then we repent, no, to anything that could rob me of the best. I want to say something about money here. A couple of obvious reasons. Firstly, over the next two weeks, we've got a really significant gift day, uh, where we are hoping and praying for an offering of £250,000 across all of our services. And I was struck how financial giving, generosity, was a key part of these early disciples' devotion. You know why it was such a big deal? because of the significance of what they were saying no to. It struck me a couple of years ago when I was preparing a different passage on Acts, it struck me afresh as I was preparing this talk. You see, in the Old Testament, the Israelites got pretty obsessed about the land, this patch of earth where God would one day visit and then come and make everything right. No one expected Chaplain the Tramp, Jesus of Nazareth, the poor carpenter. And so they became obsessed with obtaining the land, defending the land, passing on the land to their descendants. And yet what is happening in Acts chapter 2? They're giving up the land. They're selling property and possessions. Why oh, why would they do that? The other Jews would have been, what are you doing? They're laying down one dream and they are pursuing another because they have realised God's bigger picture. It's not about one patch of earth. God's master plan is to redeem the whole of creation through Jesus Christ. So one dream goes down and I'm going to embrace another one. You know, more than anything else in the world, more than anything else in the world, What we do with our money shows what we are devoted to. You want to know what you're devoted to? Look where you spend your money. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. If I put all my money into the latest fashions, as you can see that I do, then what happens? You shouldn't have laughed there, by the way. That's just a a little cue. Then what happens is I care more about how I look, what others think of me. Put my money there, heart dances along with it. If I put all my money into the stock market, my heart just dances along. Well, oh, how's the stocks and shares doing? Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart is. You know, when offerings like next week come around, at least for me, maybe not for you, but for me, I find it both a test and an opportunity. Oh, it's revealed again what I'm really devoted to. I wanted to spend my money here. Oh, I've got to get to the church now. Oh, but it's also a wonderful opportunity for me to renew my devotion. And I I decide I'm not going to spend on that because I'm going to invest in his kingdom. You know, what happens in here is I experience a mini death, usually. I'm going to die to the things I really wanted and die a bit to me. But the other side of that, I'm like, oh, more intimacy with Jesus. Actually, yeah, this is a reordering of my priorities. And I really felt I should say this ahead of next week's offering. Firstly, hey, if you don't give, that's totally fine. You're welcome here. We love you. Come build church with us anyway. But if you are praying about what you give, if you decide to give, do not give primarily because because of all that we're going to go and do as a church. Don't give primarily to improve the quality of your service, whichever service that may be. Don't give primarily because you think, oh, I like the worship here, or I like the teaching here. That's kind of like paying for a service. It's not a bad motive, but it's not the best one. Don't give primarily because you hope that you'll be blessed. There's nothing wrong with that motive either. If you're going to give, give primarily because Jesus is brilliant. Give because the Holy Spirit has captured your heart. Give because there's nothing better than following him. Put your treasure there. He ain't just nice. He's not just a good teacher with some good things to say. He's amazing. Put your treasure with him. Now, as Joy and I have been thinking and praying about what we give, out of the blue, I was reminded of the most curious anecdote from a TV game show that I used to watch in my student days. It's called Call My Bluff. Uh, hands up, have you ever, ever watched this before? These people are also old. Well done, my people, my people. Uh, Bob Holness, Alan Corrin, Sandy toxfig He's now presenting some stupid cooking show, I believe. And um, Alan Corrin told this story. I don't know why I remember it. I think maybe a preacher has adapted it, but he was filming for another TV show. And uh, he had to catch a train from King's Cross Station. So we had a bit of time at the station, so we went into a cafe, he bought a coffee and a four-fingered Kit Kat, and uh, the cafe was quite busy, It's one space on a table with a guy opposite, and he thinks, he says to the guy, can I sit here? The guy says, yes, yeah, sure, sits down at the table, reads his paper, drinks the coffee, and eventually grabs the Kit Kat, takes a finger, starts eating. Well, the guy opposite starts staring at him in a slightly creepy way. Alan Corrin thinks, well, he probably recognises me from the TV and is trying to work out, you know, who I am. Well, as he's thinking all of this, out of nowhere, this guy reaches across, grabs Alan Corrin's Kit Kat, breaks off a finger and starts eating it himself. Alan Corrin is furious. He thinks, just because I'm a minor celebrity doesn't mean this guy knows me. So, really angry, he reaches across, grabs the Kit Kat, breaks off the third finger and "Ah, eats it a bit more angrily. Well, this guy stares at Alan Corrin a bit more. And eventually reaches over, grabs the final Kit Kat finger and finishes off the Kit Kat. Well, Alan Corrin is incandescent with rage. Blood is pumping through his veins. He's like, what do I do now? And he notices this guy has got a large cake next to his coffee. So he reaches over, grabs this cake and takes the most enormous bite and eats it in his face. Well, this guy stares Alan Corrin for a long time and eventually stands up and marches out the cafe in a huff. Alan Corrin thinks, I am victorious, no one messes with me. Oh, and now this free cake finishes off the cake, lovely jubbly. Well, after about five or ten minutes, he thinks, oh, time to go, train's ready to leave. So he decides, I better go. Leans over to pick up his bag, horror of horrors, there on top of his bag was his Kit Kat. Dun, dun, dun. And he has this dawning realisation that, oh, no. I thought that guy was stealing my Kit Kat. In reality, he was sharing his. Now, here's the point of this illustration. This is a great illustration, by the way. <laughs> when I approach offerings like next week, now I often feel like Alan Corrin, my Kit Kat, my money. You know what the reality is? For every person here, whether you realize it or not, everything I am and everything I have is his. And so when offerings like next week come around, it's just a chance to offer back to him some of what he has already lavished on me. It's an opportunity for devotion. You know, the reason that God talks about giving so much in the Bible, the reason that Jesus taught on giving more than anything else apart from the kingdom of God, it's just just going on about money the whole time. You need to be clear, it's not because God needs the money. He owns all the Kit Kats. God is not up in heaven right now looking down at me thinking, Andy, please preach this bit right. I mean if you don't get it right and we don't get the offering my plans for this church and London and the world are doomed no (laughs) he owns all the Kit Kats next week the week after if we get £2.50 or £250,000 or anything in between we're going to be okay because he's the one building his church we just trust him but I think next week if God is speaking to us about hey devote yourselves afresh pursue me again Ask for more of my Holy Spirit. What a most wonderful opportunity for a corporate act of devotion to God. You first, ahead of everything else. If we want to devote ourselves to God, what do you need to say no to? Fears, insecurities, negative in a self-talk. What's robbing us of going deeper? It's time to repent. It's time to say no. Get to know Jesus, repent. And then thirdly and finally, how do we devote ourselves to God? We receive the Spirit. Told you to be simple today. What happens here? Hear about Jesus. He's amazing. He's brilliant. They repent, and then they receive the Spirit. And in some ways, you could argue this is the most important step. diverses. I could quote here. Let's just do Romans 8. It's only by the Spirit that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And I know him personally. Loving Father rather than a distant deity. In other words, if I want to live a more devoted life, I just need more and more and more of the Holy Spirit. How do I get more of the Spirit? Just got to ask just got to ask before i say a bit more on receiving the spirit i just want to say this both today but also as we go through this series i want to encourage you as much as you are able to turn off the inner cynic when it comes to receiving the spirit a little later on i'm going to pray an ancient prayer holy spirit come i want to encourage you turn off the inner cynic it's easy to think Oh, i'm not feeling anything therefore he's not here or it's all about the emotion of the moment. It's all about hype. It's all a figment of my imagination. Can I encourage you, as much as you're able, to turn that off? And here's a little apologetic that some of you may have heard before uh, to help you do that. I want you to imagine for a moment the might of the Roman Empire. There's a map coming up showing the power of Rome at its zenith. This is 100 years after the birth of Jesus. It's still growing in Acts 2. Think of the power of Caesar, the vastness of the armies, the glory of the kingdom. Now, think of the 12 disciples. This is a screenshot of some NAF TV adaptation of the Gospels. I watched a movie recently called Risen. It's got one of the Fines, Josie finds, Ralph finds. Uh, it's not very good. Don't waste your time with it. Interesting angle on the Gospel story. But in it, the disciples were being painted as a bit thick, a bit stupid. I thought that was a bit patronizing. And I remembered Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that these guys were unschooled, ordinary men, uneducated. Now, imagine 2,000 years ago. You've got to place your money on who's going to change the world, Rome or unschooled ordinary men. Every single person I know would place their money on Rome. And yet what's happened? 2,000 years later, we call our children Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we call our dogs Caesar and Nero. (laughs) What happened 2,000 years ago? As a matter of historical record, the world changed. An emotionally hyped-up moment does not do that. A figment of our imagination doesn't change all of history. As we ask the Spirit to come today and throughout this series, why don't we ask again, God, would you do afresh in my life what you've done through history? God's been changing situations ever since the dawn of time. This is just one story. I was reading recently of a town city in Guatemala called Almalonga. A few years ago, this was just a thoroughly broken place. Dark, deprived, incredible levels of poverty, destitution, murder in the streets, gang warfare, drug and alcohol addiction. There were so many criminals that the prisons in Almolonga were overflowing. They had to bus criminals outside the city to other towns and cities because there were just so many of them. It was so desperate that a a few devoted disciples just gathered together and they started to pray, Holy Spirit, come. The strangest thing happened. It's like God met with an entire city. People started coming to faith in Jesus in numbers. People got miraculously free of drug and alcohol addictions. The crime levels fell so dramatically that this place had to bus criminals to other towns and cities. A few years after this moment, a few years ago, they closed their final prison because there now is no more crime. It is now estimated that over 90% of the population of Almolonga has become a follower of Jesus. There's a picture coming up of just some kind of big worship service happening in the town centre. And if you were to go to Almolonga today, you would see a sign on your entrance to the city, Jesus is Lord over Longa. Wouldn't it be amazing if that happened now? That happened in London, your borough. It's been a little over 100 years since we saw anything similar happen on the UK mainland. There's been pockets of breakthrough. Amazing thing happened in there. Hebridean Islands in around right about the 40s. But on the UK mainland, 1904, a guy called Evan Roberts, broken mining communities. He prayed for 11 years. Holy Spirit, come. And then God turned up. And in these hard, rough miners, he said, as Evan Roberts preached, you could see the tear stains rolling down their muddy cheeks. They're like, Jesus, is real. I can know him now. People got free of drug and alcohol addiction. Families came back together. Crime plummeted. Policemen had to start getting other jobs because there was no more crime in the locality. Law courts were deserted. There were not enough printers to print the amount of Bibles that people wanted to read. They were hungry to learn more about Jesus. It amused me. All the pit ponies they used to use in the mines, they were trained to only understand swear words. And when all these people started coming to faith in Jesus, they didn't understand their language anymore. So they had to bus in a new load of pit ponies and retrain them to understand clean words. Because God had visited a city. He said when Evan Roberts preached, hearts were set ablaze with love for God. Like Jesus, I want more of that. I really want more of that. You know, I remember when I first encountered the power of the Holy Spirit in a particularly powerful way. I'm in my teens. You know, the number one fruit was like it was like I couldn't stop telling people about Jesus. It's like I couldn't keep them in. I went into school and I just told people about Jesus the whole time. Now, As I've shared before, I was, I was badly physically and verbally bullied at school. And not even the chess gang wanted to hang out with me. And so when the geek of the geeks goes into school saying, Hi, Jesus loves you! There was no fruit whatsoever. And I remember going home like, God, I want people to know Jesus. What do I do? I feel utterly powerless here. And um, my church was a very uncool church. And my sister, five, six years younger, was closest in age to me. We had one out-of-tune Piano and a tambourine. That was my church. And we produced these flyers. Well, not we. They had produced these flyers uh, for this event where you can invite people who are skeptical about faith, kind of maybe want to find out more. And I remember looking at these flyers. I was like, these are so bad. I don't think even Jesus wants to come to this event. I mean, this is like awful. And I felt, I didn't have the language for it then, but I felt this nudge go into school and give those flyers out. I was like, no way. Go into school give those flyers out and I kind of fought God and eventually I'm like what have I got to lose so I went in and did just that and everything I knew would happen happened they ripped them up they put them in the bin they beat me up pushed me around I went home God where were you I thought you spoke to me it's like heaven was silent and I went in the next day even lower than before and first break kid comes up to me and he says Andy you know that flyer you gave out yesterday I'm like oh here we go again he said my mum found it in my bag last night and she's forcing me to go is it okay, if I come, <laughs> I was like, I don't really like you, but okay. <laughs> well, as so we're having this conversation, another kid over here, he says, well, if he's going? Can I come too?" I'm like, I don't like you either, but all right. Well, he then tells his friend, he says, "I want to come. I want to bring my sister too." Now I've got four people who I don't really like coming to this event. And I don't remember much about this event, truth be told. I'm sure it was spine-tinglingly cringy. I mean, probably I don't remember it because I was praying all the way through. God, end the world now. <laughs> I just, I'm ready, Lord. Just end it. Um, but I do remember this: at the end of the service. A guy called Mark, side parting, stands at the front, and he just prays. No offense to people with side partings, by the way. <laughs> we love you. You're welcome. We need you. But he just prays. Holy Spirit, come. I'm like, oh, God's here right now. And at that spine-tingly, cringy event, three of those four school bullies became first-time followers of Jesus Christ. I remember one of them coming to me. Andy, I know I used to laugh at you for this stuff. I want to follow Jesus now. Is that cool? On the outside, I was like, that's so cool. I must admit, on the inside, I was like, wah, 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 wah. (laughs) But you can't do that as a Christian. That's bad. You know, right at the dawn of my faith journey, I learned a very powerful lesson that the life-changing power of Jesus Christ does not rest on inventive strategies or eloquent talks or flashy multimedia presentations. Just got to ask. Loving Daddy, he loves filling us afresh. I was preaching in a church on the South Coast just last Sunday. I said, come forward if you want to get prayer at the end. I was like, there's literally probably over 100 people came forward to get prayer. I lost count of the people I got to pray for. One of the most moving stories, this lady comes with her daughter. She says, I have been paralyzed by fear. I have had panic attacks for as long as I can remember. Could you pray? And I just prayed. Come, Holy Spirit. Didn't do anything. She just crumples on the floor. It's like decades of fear and anxiety are just oozing out of her. No, I'm just losing count of these stories. Nothing changes lives like Jesus. Don't you hunger for more of that here? Christchurch, London, maybe this is a moment. Maybe God's leaning in and saying, devote yourself afresh. Let's get to know Jesus. He's just amazing. He's brilliant. We repent. Anything you need to say no to. Anything robbing you of the best? And then, Daddy God, more of your spirit, please. Why don't we stand to our feet? Maybe the band want to come up. Here's what I'd like to do. In a moment, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. Before I do that, I want to give you a moment in case you need to repent. In case there's anything in here you need to say no to that is robbing you of the life you could be living with Jesus. Fear. Inadequacy. Is there a longing in some of you for God to do really amazing things, but there's this doubt? Would he ever use me? It's time to say no. I'm going to believe my God is a loving father, not somebody I have to prove myself to. He's a moment to repent, to say no. (laughs) Father God Daddy God just want to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us now fill us afresh I pray generous Father fill us afresh and I want to speak to fear and insecurity to negative inner self talk to doubt I want to rebuke it. I want to command it to leave in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray instead there'd be a fresh infilling of God. The kind of overflowing knowledge of how much you love us and how for us you are. I want to pray fear would be replaced with confidence. I want to pray for an outpouring of spiritual gifts. Leadership. I pray wonderful healings and miracles would be not only woven into our journey as a church, but into the lives of individuals here. I pray there'd be men and women here who just hear your voice more clearly and more sharply than ever before because they kind of receive something from God. I want to pray for breakthrough with compassion ministry and care for the poor. Holy Spirit, come. he's a loving daddy ask him for what you want him to do ask for more of his presence generous generous God ask him come Holy Spirit Now, here's what I'd like to do before we sing a closing song. When Paul writes to a guy called Timothy, he talks about him getting a gift from God through the laying on of hands. No idea how it works, but it's in the Bible, so I think it's a good thing to do. I just feel for you, there's, I see spiritual thirst on some of you. You long for more of God in your life, for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, for gifts from God. We'd like to pray for you and lay hands on you. This is a gutsy thing to do for some of you. Say no to fear. If you'd like to get prayer, can I just invite you to come to the front right now? If the prayer teams could come forward to you, that'd be great. Some of you, you long for God to use you in the area of leadership. I feel there's leadership here. I'd like to lay hands on some of you and pray for you for that. Some of you just feel a bit dry and fatigued. Life feels Busy. Time to lay some of that stuff down and meet with Jesus afresh. Holy Spirit, come. Say no to fear. Say no to fear. Okay, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to just worship Jesus. Closing song. For you guys at the front who've come forward, you can just wait for someone to come near you. Before then, you can just keep on asking him for more of his presence. Just worship him. For everyone else, let's just keep worshiping him. And if you've not come forward yet, but you'd like to, you never miss an opportunity here. Just come forward when you're ready and we'd be honoured and delighted to lay hands on you and pray for you that you kind of get something from God today, a and feeling. But for all of us now, let's just worship Jesus. He isn't just nice. He is brilliant. He is amazing. And he's here right now. Let's worship him together. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.